I really learned that you really can't balance between motherhood and work. If you're going to be at home with your child, then that means your work is suffering. And interestingly, it's really what sort of allowed me to accept my new space in life. I wanted to be very present for my son, especially the first formative years of his yeah, life, the first yes. three years of his life. And so, and I would feel really bad not being able to take certain roles because they would demand too much of my time or because I'd have to be in a completely different county or different country from where my child is. But I think to just honor that, it's okay for you to fail in certain aspects to let other aspects thrive. This is Salam and Hello, where stories of joy and justice vibrate with the rhythm of Africa and the diaspora. Salam and hello everyone and welcome to the show. My name is Lily Bakala Piper and every time you join us, it is just a delight and a privilege to have your time. So today's conversation, we are revisiting some of our favorite themes here on the show, themes of joy and artistic expression. Recently, I had the good fortune to go to the BBC Arts on Tour that was held at the Kenyan National Theatre. The BBC Arts on Tour visits uh, cities across the world, exploring their creative economy, talking to artists and creators about what makes their city special and what they are contributing to the global stage. The Nairobi show was fabulous. We got to hear from people like our favorite Sati Sol, Madhoni Drummer Queen. I was introduced to the comedy of Doug Mutai, which was just hilarious. You need to look him up. He has this great piece about the police, which is actually very funny, even though the police are not often funny. We got to hear from illustrators like Daniel Kagia. It was such a great celebration of all that is wonderful about what's happening in Kenya's creative scene. One of the speakers that really stood out to me was Sheila Munira. Sheila is a star that you probably know from the many ways that she has been bringing her art to the global audiences. She is a part of Kizazimoto, the current um, Generation Fire animation series that's on Disney+. Plus. She is the star of Rafiki, which hopefully many of you have gotten a chance to see. And of course, she's a part of Country Queen, the very first Kenyan series that has been commissioned by Netflix. She is not just a rising star, but a star that just shines bright with authenticity, with joy, with warmth, with wit, with wisdom, far beyond her very young years. So it is just such a pleasure to have Sheila with us today to talk about all the things that she is bringing to that arts on tour as her work starts to reach global audiences and, and tell the stories that are so dear and near to her. So it is my great joy to welcome Sheila to Salam and Hello. Welcome, oh my Sheila. goodness. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. Gosh, Thank you, Lily. <laughs> the honor is all ours. And, you know, it's one of my favorite things is to talk to creatives and to get behind their creative minds and mm -hmm. see what makes them tick. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. Um, so, Sheila, you grew up here in Nairobi. This I did. This is your home. Yes. Um, but you didn't necessarily think that you were going to be a, a star of stage and screen. So tell us a little bit about your creative journey and how it began. So I think um, my creative journey, interestingly, began in church, right? So I remember during um, the Christmas period, they had wanted us to stage um, one of the biblical stories. And I remember I didn't get a role in the film because it was the story of 
oh crap Mary and Jesus and it Joseph? wasn't even Mary and Jesus it was, <laughs> it was a different Christmas story it was a different it, it, oh goodness me let me try and remember this but you know the story in the Bible of the 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 person who was on the street begging yes. and there's three people who passed them yes and the good all Samaritan of, yes the good yes. Samaritan story and so I remember when they were casting for the good Samaritan story there's only three people who are supposed to pass by right um, and 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 none of them help <laughs> the person in need and so I remember the director of the play I don't know what it is that I did but he added a fourth member of <laughs> for you yeah for me and so all I had to do was just like walk on stage and sort of see this person and like roll my eyes and be like don't touch me and then walk away so I think from that point I I realized that I could play different mm. characters and I could be different people. And there was something fun and interesting about that. So when I got to primary school and high school, I found myself in drama club. And actually in high school, I ended up being the chair lady of the drama club. Okay. And so I was in so many plays and I was in just a lot of the productions that the school had sort of put up for the parents to see, but also for the music festivals and the drama festivals. And I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I was quite good at it. So you got promoted from that fourth extra person who's not even in the Bible. Exactly. To a star. To a star, to like main character, <laughs> yeah. you know, main character energy. Yeah, the glow up. Yes. And so that was wonderful for me to experience. So that's sort of been it. But I do want to say my mom was very, I want to say theatrical she was very big she was very bold in how she walked in how she dressed in how she spoke to people and I think for some of the guys who are into astrology my mother's rising sign uh, my mother's sun sign is a Leo and you okay. know how Leos are and so she really truly embodied the <laughs> Leo energy and I think just being a young child and just seeing the brilliance of my mom and what she was kind of rubbed off on me so I think more than anything I think it may have started from home with oh, her. I love I actually I love that to hear that just your mom being herself yes not your mom was also on stage but just moving through the world the way she did Absolutely. also stirred up something in you that's quite powerful for all of us I think who are parents to realize us just moving in the world <laughs> might be doing something to our kids yeah, that's our such kids a, the kids are always watching yeah, and they're they always are. learning and learning to identify with themselves yeah. so I think just her being herself like you said it was such an impact on me I've read also we're interested in news Yes. So at what point did you think, okay, maybe not news anchoring, but maybe actually the theatrical, the fiction, not the nonfiction is more for me. Right. Um, when I was in uni, I was studying uh, mass communication. And then one of the weekends, a friend of mine called me and said, uh, do you want to make some extra cash? There's this lady by the name of Jennifer Gatero, <laughs> and she's filming this series and she's looking for extras. Like you can come, it's going to be a fun time and we can make some extra cash. So I remember thinking, okay, I'm not up to anything. I might as well go like it's fine we can hang out with friends and it'll be a good time so I went on set and I remember just taking in the energy of production like there were these mm. beautiful actors the men and the women in their makeup in their wardrobe and this was a funeral scene I remember and Jennifer would stand there behind the camera and she would yell action and the characters would just break down crying and they would say their lines and it was just so fascinating to me. And I remember just standing there as an extra and thinking to myself, this is where I need to be. Something just clicked inside of me. And I was like, I think this is what I mm. need to do. So I went back to school and changed my major from mass communication to really? TV just, and just video like production. Just like that. Wow. I think sometimes when you know, you know, it's it's in your blood. It's in the energy that carries like within yourself. And you, it's it's such a 
realization in, in yeah. some ways. Yeah, it was a huge realization for me. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I think also something that kind of helped was I was a background actor, but Jennifer came. I remember she was walking around and she came and she stopped right in front of me and she looked me in the eye like this. And then she walked away. And then once we finished filming the scene, they called me and they said, they're replacing one of the main characters and she wanted me to audition. Wow. And I went and auditioned and I got the role. Amazing. So it was, it was um, serendipity. Yeah, an affirmation of what you were already feeling to have somebody affirm like, yep, you're on the right path. Absolutely. What a gift to get at a young age, honestly. It really was. Yeah, so many of us out here at 47 podcasting trying to find ourselves. So that is such a gift to hear that. Honey, you, know, you, you found yourself. Affirm. You're good. Thank you. Thank you're you. Good. Speak to me. I hear you. I hear you. But I, I love that story. And I also, you know, just going on with this theme of seeing other people move. It's also such a beautiful thing to see other people affirm the gift and others. And, and that is something that we can do. The kids are watching and we can also be affirming, right? At the same time. At that, the same time. I think that, it's really yeah. important. It's sometimes the kick that somebody needs and you never know how transformative even just your kind words could be to somebody. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. So many of us maybe were introduced to you through Rafiki. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know you did a lot of work before them, producing, script writing, acting. You had lots of places, but Rafiki kind of catapulted you to the front of everyone's imagination and storylines mm -hmm. um, <laughs> in a way that was quite profound. So let's go back to Rafiki being released here in Kenya. Mm -hmm. When you think about that season of time and Rafiki being coming to our stages and to our, our imagination, how would you capture that season in your acting career? It was, it was, I think I would just say it was a dream. It was so surreal. It was such a wonderful time, but also such a difficult and scary time as mm -hmm. well. So you have all these emotions that are running and you're experiencing you know, I usually say like Rafiki went to Khan and for those who are familiar with Islam, I feel like Khan is like Mecca. Mm -hmm. It's like what you as a filmmaker, as an actor, that's where you aspire to end up because it's one of the biggest, you know, film um, spaces yeah. that exist in the world. And so imagine having, experiencing that at 24, you know, it was just... It was just so surreal. Mm. That's all I can say. It was such a special time. And I think also because I knew how important the film would be. So it wasn't just about me and experiencing this wonderful thing. It's also the message that we were putting out there. It's also this beautiful film that Wanuri had created that the world got to watch about love and all its different expressions and colors that exists in Africa. And I feel like I was also so honored to have played Ziki and to be part of telling that story to, to the biggest stage in the world yeah, if you can absolutely. imagine yeah do you remember some of the reactions I want to talk about both all the reactions that you were getting in Cannes in Kenya mm -hmm. and maybe we'll start with Cannes since you've kind of talked about how important that festival is in particular for any actor any director mm -hmm. any screenwriter right. that is it what were some of the things that you were hearing as people started to experience Rafiki in Cannes so it was so interesting. I think maybe if I could do the juxtaposition because mm. it was Kenya first and then it was Cannes. Yeah, let's do that, sure. So like when we first launched, everybody was like, oh my God, this Kenyan film that's going to Cannes. And it's it's a story about these two women who are in love with each other. And there was so much support and it was like, oh my God, like Kenya to the world, you know, mm. Kenya to the stage. And then Ezekiel Mutua went on television and on his social media pages and he said some of the most horrific and the most horrendous things about this film. And I 
remember once he did that, there was that sense of fear because we didn't really know what was going to happen, more so with the film, but I think most especially with us as individuals and the people who took part in the film. And once the trailer dropped, like our faces were there and everybody mm. could see that it's these two girls and they're the ones who've told the story. And so it was it was very scary carry but then you take the plane and you've landed in France and now you're in Cannes and everyone around you is like wow you know you're so beautiful you're so brave that's the thing that we kept hearing all the time you're so brave thank you for telling this story like how did you you know like how how are you feeling how are you doing from Kenya it was more like you know this is what we're gonna do these are the safe houses that we have mm -hmm. you know if things get bad this is where we we can go this is what the constitution says so this is what legally they can do to you legally they can't do this wow. to you to somewhere where you go somewhere where people are saying like it's incredible what you've been able to do it was so brave of you to be able to step into that role and to tell this story and we've watched the preview of the film and you guys are absolutely gorgeous and so in love on the screen and we were celebrated in a way that I didn't get to experience that here in Kenya. Mm -hmm. And so it was wonderful. You're just walking down the streets in France and everyone is like, oh my God, Rafiki, hi, Rafiki. Yeah. And it's interesting because for the festival in 2018, Rafiki was the film. You know, like it, yeah, it's, it's it the one, girl. it was that girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She was the girl. And mm -hmm. so everyone wanted to like, just be around us and to know more about the film and to know how things came about and to know even about our safety and about the constitution mm -hmm. and what it says. So on top of just being celebrated, we ended up being ambassadors for our country. We ended up having to speak almost on behalf of the government and uh, more so just to represent the queer community. Yeah. So it was... It was surreal. That's mm. just the only one yeah, I can, I mean, I can say. Listen to you talk, it sounds like there is layer upon layer of that experience. So if we can stay with that a little bit longer. Um, you know, I, I had watched Rafiki and I remember when it first came out, it had a very short run in Kenya. It did. Seven days. Seven days. Mm -hmm. But if I understand correctly, every... Every showing was sold out. Is that right? That's absolutely right. Actually, when they screened the film for the seven days, I was the only one who was in Kenya at the time. Oh, really? So Anuri had traveled, Samantha had traveled. And so I would pop into like every screening or just get feedback. And we sold out every single screening on in cinema. The Goti Institute did screenings as well. And there was such a huge crowd of people outside where they had to open extra screenings just so that they could appease, you know, mm -hmm the people mm -hmm. and that was such a testament of the spirit of Kenyans and what they felt about the film and what is that spirit what what did they feel what were you hearing from your fellow country people I think there was a lot of curiosity. I think there was a lot of people who identified with the story of the two girls. And I think also there's a sense of comfort that we provided, but more so it's that people got to see themselves represented on screen and they wanted to share that with their people. So I had some guys who would come with their mom and their dad and they'd come in and they'd tell them like, this is who I am. Like, this is, this is me. And I wanted you to see that. I would see parents who came and they're like, you know, my daughter, she's a gay. I don't know what that is, but I've watched your movie. I mean, it's okay. I, I don't understand, but you know, I think it's mm. okay. So it was educative. It was informative. And it was also a safe space for people in the queer community to come and feel sort of like an embrace yeah. and see themselves represented yeah. on screen. And for so many other Kenyan authors, writers, creatives before you, mm -hmm. 
their work lived in kind of a niche space at times. You know, I think about Binyavanga Wanaina in particular, about his work was so celebrated and global audiences and literature spaces and people couldn't get enough of it. And yet I think at times when you look at his engagement here in Kenya, there were people who were willing to engage with him and people who were absolutely not, despite the brilliance of his work. And, and Rafiki somehow transcended that um, in some ways. And, and I wonder if you could put your finger on why Rafiki maybe was able to touch people or reach people that maybe would have never read or engaged with. I don't even want to call it queer art because it's just a love story. That's you true. Know? Yeah. But who may have never been that close to something that had queer individuals centered. Ah, what I'm about to say might be a bit, I don't want to say controversial, but these are my own opinions. Sometimes I feel like when it comes to the queer space, people are more open to women being queer than they are to men being queer. So I feel like for Binyavanga, him being a man who was so confident and open about his queerness and he would wear his beautiful skirts and he would dye his hair all these beautiful colors I think that really just rubs people off the wrong way because he's a man and he's supposed to present the patriarchy and he's supposed to be you know and especially because he's so well known and he's so well um, established and has been very successful mm. that should be very manly you know mm. but then I think people are very are a bit more accommodative to women to lesbians to bisexual women than they are to men um, but I feel like also I want to speak on Wanuri and just her as a filmmaker. She really embodied the Kenyan and African society. Rafiki was a film, yes, about these two women in love and that celebration. But you could see the community. You Absolutely. saw the church represented in that and what their strong opinions about that is. You saw Mama Atim, who's a representation of the neighbors and the more conservative Kenyan community. So I think it also resonated with people because even in as much as you're coming to see two lesbians, you still find a part you you find a representation in mama team you find a representation in the church where you're like yeah you know the gays this is not biblical this is not any of that so she didn't really push the narrative of like you know accept this and look at this and this is what we are she showed it as a whole mm -hmm. and i think that also was a bit more palatable because then there was a lot more people represented in the absolutely. film absolutely yeah you could definitely find yourself in that landscape you just look at me like oh i'm black star exactly you know, oh i'm you know whomever and and i was talking with rahma one of my producers beforehand about the church in particular and how i really was looking like that and saying even as an ethiopian i mm. you know i didn't grow up in kenya but i grew up in ethiopian churches and it's just copy paste in mm. a lot of ways you know mm. the environment and everything and at the same time too there's a moment of redemption a little bit at the just end for mama temi you know she's yes. like by the way she's back in town you know and so i don't want to spoil it for people People, people you should just go watch it you can see it on amazon prime it's my little input here for you um but i also want to talk to you about working with wanuri i had the great privilege to, to meet her recently and be exposed to the breadth of her work mm -hmm. in kenya and mm -hmm. her filmmaking and i would love to hear more about what she taught you about filmmaking and storytelling you know, let me tell you, Wanuri is such an artist, mm -hmm. like she's such an artist. And I feel like, especially for Kenya, and, and maybe this is just my own understanding and, and, and how I see things, we are very right-brained. You know, we grow up and you want to be a doctor and you want to be a lawyer and an engineer, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's what we get exposed to the most. Sure. But then you're exposed to someone who's an artist and she makes art for art's sakes, you know, Afro bubblegum. And so for me, my introduction, 
introduction to Anuri, first of all, before I made the film, because I was in the filmmaking space and I knew I was going to be a creative, I wanted to work with Wanuri so freaking bad for so <laughs> many years. And I thought that I would probably shadow her as a director. I never thought I'd got I'd get to work with her as, um, as a director. So it was, I mean, as an actor. So it was so wonderful to be in that space and to see how she creates and to see how she envisions things. She taught me about the use of color in cinema and that what's what that speaks about it when you see Ziki in lots of pink and you see Kenai in lots of yellow there's something that that communicates to the audience so I think Wanuri taught me about the subtle art of mm. filmmaking and how certain small details you might not really notice but they make such a big difference and they have such a big way of speaking in a small way within the film that you're making um, I also really like Wanuri's very personal approach. Every step of the way, she was there. When we were having our rehearsals with our acting coach, she was there. When we were going through our script readings, and we did that for almost a month before we filmed, mm -hmm. like she was there. And it was so incredible to see someone not only being so proud of the work, but also being so gracious enough to offer you her time and yeah. to offer you the lessons that she's learned in all the things that she's been able to do and come and meet you at such a human level face to face. So that for me was just so wonderful. And I think also just her being a woman, mm. that was... There's just something really empowering behind yeah. that. And you're a young girl and you're seeing someone who's actually doing the things you imagine and you feel that you're going to be able to achieve. Being in that space and being around that energy was just incredible. Wow. Um, that is absolutely the impression I had from just the little time I had to spend with her was that she's absolutely an artist who spins with her hands and brings it to the rest of us. It's It's such a absolute art is the right and only word for it and and so much of what you're saying about her actually just brings me back to how we started this conversation around the things you said about your mom and just mm. this, this the way that she would move through and and create this stirring in you and it sounds like working with Wanuri stirred in you as well this mm. you know grew you but also stirred in you the power of filmmaking and of course the power of Rafiki um it's still out still available you must still feel the vibrations of of that work in your current day? Does it still come up in conversation? It always does, always does. Every single day I'll get a DM from someone asking me about the film, where they can watch it, or someone just saying, thank you so much. I see myself in Ziki so much. Some people like write to me, they're like, wait, Samantha, how come mm. you guys are not hanging out? Because I don't know, there's something about how we portrayed our roles that people also yeah. think we're real life lovers. For sure, yeah, so, so tender. Yeah, yeah, it was just wonderful. So yeah, every single day, um, I, I I'm always honored to just get you know just all these invitations to speak about the film and so yeah till yeah. till now like yeah. almost four or five years down the wow. line mm -hmm. well when, when a film like that which is as groundbreaking and well done mm. right like that excellence is hand in hand so you could just be watching it for the film's sake mm -hmm. and then you can be watching it for the message and either way you're walking away with your hands full absolutely I mean, Rafiki leaves you with your heart and your hands full for sure and and I hope it will continue to bear fruit because we need stories like that to wake us up to remind us who we can be and who we want to be I think and so thank you for your work and Rafiki I think <laughs> when I had the chance to meet you after the Kisazimoto premiere that I got to see that was what I wanted to say thank you for was Rafiki's and your work there it, it will I think continue to live on for a very long time thank you it was it was an honor I'm so glad I did I, I oh, played that role yeah, yeah. that must be a good feeling to look back and be like I'm so glad I did that because there must be times where you do a commercial do a whatever and be like hmm 
That's true. <laughs> and then you look back, you're like, ah, but there was Rafiki. Yeah. That one is, yeah. And to think that I was, when I was during the audition process, they never really told us what the film was about. Really? Yeah, they never really. I'm, and so here's the thing. When I was auditioning, I could, I was like, I get a feeling that, you know, these two girls are kind of into each other, but they never spoke about it. So when Nini Wasera, who was the casting director, called me um, and then she told me what the film was about, I remember just being so hesitant because this was my first introduction into acting. And I just remember thinking, Kenya is such a conservative country. Like, will I ever get more work after this? Will I be labeled as something? Am I going to be safe in my own country? But they sent the script. And if you've watched the film, you know, it's such a beautiful, tender love story and i read that script and i was like i have i have to play ziki mm-hmm. so i'm i'm always eternally grateful that i got to do that that's it's really interesting to hear you frame it that way i think i had read that you you had i think the hesitation probably anybody would in in the context in which this film is being made but then to also not know then know and move forward is is entirely something else what did that teach you just about yourself as a person i mean you you've told me kind of what other people were saying about you mm-hmm. in kenya and khan etc what did that teach you about yourself just I, sheila just sheila yeah. the person you know I think I just I just don't conform if that's anything. Mm. When you think of the African context, we're always taught about respect. We're always taught about, you know, like adhere and uphold the African values and everything. Yeah. And in as much as, you know, you want to do that, you also have that individuality. You have that sense of this is who I am. This is what I believe. This is what I want to do. And I will do that respectfully. But I will do it despite yeah. what, you know, you will say and what what you'll think. So I think it just affirms to me that I really don't mind being a black sheep mm. in that sense. And when something is important, when something matters, when something will speak to more than just me, because it's not about me. It's really about the people who will be represented by the character that I play. The fact that I can step into those shoes and do that, it also shows that. I am for the people mm-hmm. and whatever we need as a society to love each other more, to see each other as equal, to value each other and to tell each other stories. I'm going to do that. I don't know. Where's my audience <laughs> to give me the snaps I need at this moment. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Sheila. And I think we felt that we felt both from you and Samantha that we're going to tell the story because the story is true. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a powerful thing to bring to the stage. So let's talk a little bit about maybe the next place people might know you best from is Country Queen mm. and this really fun and dynamic and just, yeah, playful is not the right word, but there is something about it that feels like play that mm-hmm. in the best possible way, if that mm-hmm. makes sense when you're watching it, because you're just entertained by the story, the characters, you like somebody one episode, you don't like them the next. <laughs> um, and so Country Queen is, you know, Netflix's first commission from Kenya, so such an outstanding Um, accomplishment and for me kicking down the door you know for what may come next as an actor in that in that show how did you kind of transition or was there a transition from you know playing being in in Rafiki and I I can't believe I'm I'm totally blanking on your character Ziki (laughs) oh my goodness it's like in the name going from Ziki to Anna like what was that like for you it was an interesting transition I think 
So Ziki was 18 years old. Anna is um, a lot older and so she's more mature and she's a woman. But I think also for me personally, I just had given birth to my son. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's just a new way I was moving in life. There's there's an understanding that I had and there's a maturity as well that I'd sort of gone through that really enabled me to portray Anna. And I feel like it, it was interesting because I was on set and my son was like about six months when we were filming. And I'd like shoot my scene and then have to sneak into the tents and like breastfeed him and then go back and, and film the scene. Yeah. <laughs> a blessing. <laughs> yeah. And so it was interesting for me, I think, to grow into womanhood and motherhood mm-hmm. and to be able to portray a character who was that. Because Anna, not only was she in love with Charlo and you see the dynamics of the relationship, but she was the clinical officer and she was in charge of taking care of the most vulnerable people mm-hmm. in the society. And I think being a mom and having to take care of my son who's mm-hmm. vulnerable and dependent on yeah. me allowed me to feed back into this character yeah. but again also her being a clinical officer I really had to go back and watch all these medical shows <laughs> and go on TikTok and see what doctors are doing because you know when you're filming and you have to check someone's heartbeat you don't want to put it on the right yeah, way the heart, like... yeah the heart's not there <laughs> you have to make sure you do it on the right place and when you do you know like you're injecting someone and everything so I just had to make sure that I was I was doing that correctly um but of course we were also really lucky we had Ravi who'd come in from Germany and he was really he was a fantastic acting coach and he really helped us understand what our characters are what we needed to do but I think with Country Queen and with Anna I was surrounded by the best of the best in Kenya Mm -hmm. people who had honed their craft over years and years and so when you enter such a space with people who know what they're doing you're just able to embody that and so you also bring it because everyone around you is bringing yeah, it yeah. yeah so true it raises your game when you're around that kind of brilliance absolutely completely absolutely and I, I you know just you hearing you talk about um you know you being a mother and bringing that into the role is it just me or was your voice a little bit deeper also as Anna it was a little bit deeper. yeah I heard something deep. it was beautiful <laughs> I was like when you first opened your mother I was like oh this yeah. is this is this is a different Sheila. It was, it was really beautiful. Yeah. Because you know, Ziki is 18 and you, yeah. you're very bubbly when you you're are, young as a yeah. teenager, yeah. And so that has to come out. But you know, Anna is mature and she's mm. gone to school and she's seen people vulnerable and at their, their worst possible uh, health position and everything. So there's something also about seeing people in that way that really just just yeah. kind of takes you there. Roots so you yes. a little bit differently, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, you you continue to bring different expressions of Kenya to the stage. You did it through Ziki, you did it through Anna, and now you're an animation series. I love it. You're just in front of the camera, behind yeah. the camera, behind the animators. <laughs> like, where is Sheila next? So tell us a little bit about Kizazimoto and what you're doing with that work. Kizazimoto is um, Generation Fire. It's uh, by Disney, Disney Plus. And I was so fortunate to, to land this role and to be able to play the character of Shiro. And interestingly, when they had me audition for Kizazimoto, I was just wrapping up on Country Queen. So my first audition, the sound the sound guys on set are the ones who like recorded my yeah, first audition yeah. for Disney. And so I was able to send that out. But um, I'd worked with Ngendo before and when I knew she was the director, director behind the film and Kai, I just gave it my best shot. And I'm so glad that she chose me to, to bring out Shiro. Yeah. Yeah. Such a great, I mean, if you have a chance to see it, it is a story about a mother and a daughter who live in a gourd, but they're in also an alternate universe. Um, what, what is that? Is it sci-fi? Is it fantasy? Where would you place it? Afrofuturism? Afrofuturism. Maybe? Afrofuturism. That's the best term for that. So there, and, and it turns out her mother 
who you play, Shiro, is Enkai, is the protector and the god of this community, protecting it from what we can interpret as external forces, be it colonialism, be it neocolonialism, be it any number of things. She is the, the barrier between those two. So Shiro, for those of us in Kenya, you know, that's a name we know. Mm-hmm. We associate it with friends and sisters, aunties and, and grandmothers, etc. But tell me what, what Shiro represented to you and what, what did that character maybe teach you? If, I think it, this, this landed with me, what Shiro taught me. Shonda Rhimes was giving um, a speech in one of the colleges that she went to. And she was talking about how everyone asks her, like, how do you do it? You're a mother. You're a fantastic writer. Like, how do you balance all of this? And she said, I don't balance all of it. If you see me succeeding in my work, in my writing, then know that at home I'm failing and that somebody else has had to step in for me. And if you see me at home with my children and succeeding in that, it means that my work and my writing Mm. has taken a hit. Mm. And when you watch Enkai, you really see that with Shiro. She's out there. She's trying to protect the world. She's trying to protect people from a destruction that they're causing themselves. And this is at the expense of her being at home with her daughter, her being able to spend time with her child and nurturing that relationship that they have together. And so I think I really learned that you really can't balance between motherhood and work. If you're going to be at home with your child, then that means you're work is suffering. And interestingly, it's really what sort of allowed me to accept my new space in life. I wanted to be very present for my son, especially the first formative years of his life, the first three years of his life. And so, and I would feel really bad not being able to take certain roles because they would demand too much of my time or because I'd have to be in a completely different county or different country from where my child is. But I think to just honor that it's okay for you to fail in certain aspects to let other aspects thrive. So mm. I think Shiro taught me that you really can't have a work and home balanced life, yeah. you know, and to to just know that everything that you do when you dedicate time, if you're saving the world and you're saving the people, dedicate that time to that. And when you're able to be home, then be present with your child and be present with the needs that you have or the, that your family have, that your friends have. So you can't really balance, but you can be present and in the things that you're undertaking. That is so not what I thought you were going to say. That was such a thoughtful, thoughtful, rich answer. And I have not seen that Shonda Rhimes quote. So thank you for bringing us that perspective and that wisdom that let's stop telling ourselves that we can do it all. Mm. Let's just accept that we can do this well and be okay for a season that something else doesn't do as well. I'm, I'm going to be thinking about that later on today when I'm sitting with all the choices I'm making. So thank you for that perspective. Um, you know, animation is a different space, if I'm correct, from what you had worked in before. Completely. What about the animation process maybe piqued your own curiosity or imagination? Curiosity, imagination, more like the challenge of animation. Mm-hmm. You know, I and I've said this before, when you're on set and you're acting with your fellow actors, you have someone who's feeding you. And so you guys get to play and their response, you know, yeah. gives you what you need and then you're able to respond back to them. Animation is you in a sound booth with your script and nobody else. And so you're supposed to have these conversations that are very personal, that are very deep, and you're literally speaking to yourself. So it was, it, it's such an interesting, it was such an interesting experience for me. And it really made me as an actor have to really dig deep where there's nobody on the other side to feed you that line. And you have to be 
you have to be everything. You have to say your line and imagine what it is they're saying. And then mm. you respond in certain ways. Mm. So I think that for me was, it was such an interesting experience. And I'm so grateful for Ngendo because she's such a wonderful director. And, you know, she wants you to do well and she's rooting for you. And even in times when maybe your tone wasn't right, because again, you're by yourself Hello, in yeah. a booth. <laughs> she's able to just come in and remind you, remember, this is your six-year-old child. And maybe how would you say that differently? Or remember this is you in your godlike nature so then how would you bring that out so that was just it's it's interesting like animation is wonderful it's very isolating but when i got to watch myself on screen i was like you would have really thought we were there together I having these conversations yeah awesome you've also been on stage <laughs> uh, so look, this is gonna be part one of 17 with sheila <laughs> um tell me what being a part of serafina and being on a theatrical stage where there's no post-production mm. <laughs> what does the stage give you as a storyteller as an actor that maybe the screen big and little or animation does not you know, being on stage, there's no take one, there's no take two. From the moment the curtains go up to the moment the curtains close, you have to be on. You have to be Sarafina every step of the way. And I feel like, you know, we always talk about being present with yourself, being present in the things that you do. When you have to do theater, you have to be so present and you have to give it your all. The audience is sitting there and they can tell and they're there with you and you have to, you have to run a one and a half hour show. It's like filming a movie, but from the beginning till the end, you're on. You know all your lines, you know all your movements, you know all the dances, you know whose part <laughs> is coming when and whose part yeah. is coming. My brain has never been engaged as it was like when I was on yeah. theater. And that was so exhilarating. Mm. Like by the time we would finish our last lines and we're doing our final number and the curtains close, there is an energy that you feel within yourself that I have never experienced on film. Mm -hmm. I have never experienced in animation. It's otherworldly is the only way I could describe it. So, so do you, is the preparation then different? Because it seems like the mechanics or the tools are the same, right? There's a script, there are characters, there's memorization, there's, there's a director. Blocking, there's a director. Yeah. So how does your prep look different for theater than it might for, you know, filming of Country Queen? So when you look at preparing for theater, because you have to know every single thing that you're saying and there are no takes and there are no breaks, the rehearsal is intense. Mm. So we're talking about a three-month rehearsal every single day, including weekends. And wow. you do like about six to eight hours in a day of you just running your lines and running your movements and running music. Whereas when you're doing film, like say Country Queen, you know, you have you have maybe like two-hour rehearsals with your characters and then you get to go home with your script and internalize things for yourselves. Then when you come on set, you know, they've set up everything. You'll do your first take. Maybe you mess up a line or two. Then you can do your second take and the third and the fourth and then director will say perfect that's the one mm. and then it's all chopped up into pieces and people can see yeah. theater there's no editing <laughs> there's no editing yeah, in theater yeah, yeah. So, so, so we need to appreciate theater uh performances more I think you, you absolutely like anyone who's done theater yeah. I mean I bow down to you it is intense <laughs> it is involving and it's I think when it comes to like acting and performance, it's the most intensive sort of choice you path yeah. you would take yeah. as an actor. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I've always loved theater and the magic it creates and, and just seeing you talk about it, how intense it is. Well, well, I will definitely be giving standing ovations, no matter if I like it or not, because Please do. the dedication <laughs> is no joke. So, Sheila, you know, as I started off in the conversation, you're from Nairobi, this is your home, and you've, you've found ways to connect back to the community and, and give back a bit. So tell us a little bit about the ways that you are, you know, passing it on or passing forward your, your own good fortune that you've had the last couple of years. Um, if I can take that back, uh, maybe let me just start with my personal life. Mm. So growing up, I, I mean, my family was incredible. My mom, I had my mom, my dad and my sister, and we had such a small but fantastic relationship mm. with each other. Mm. So when I was about three years old, my father passed away. Mm. And then when I was six years old, my sister passed away. And then when I was 12 years old, my mother passed away. Oh, so... Yeah, it's, yeah, everything you imagine it is, it's all of that and more. And I came from a place where I was the apple of my family's eye to being the underdog in every sense of the word. You're throwing, you're being moved around from relative to relative. You're having experiences where people don't really know what to do with you. It's Christmas and everyone has thought about their children and thought about their families. And after they've exchanged gifts, they realize, oh, we didn't get Sheila anything. And as a young person, you see this and you internalize it in the way that you do. And that really just made me, as I grew up, I just root for the underdog, if that makes any sense. I can almost tell and I identify so deeply with people who are in need. And that's literally how I'm able to give back. It's why I have to give back. It's why I have to be so supportive because I have been there. I have been in a place where I needed support and I didn't get it. I've been in a place where I needed people to have conversations with me a certain way or to encourage me a certain way and I didn't get it. And I don't want anybody to feel how I felt those formative years of my life. I don't mean to cry, because, but it's... um. Yeah, I'm so sorry for your loss, but how amazing that you're able to also, yeah, turn that into a way that motivates you now to give and to connect. Um, just hearing you describe the holidays where somebody else all of a sudden has to remember, oh, we didn't, that just breaks my heart in a way. I think that every child deserves to be remembered. And um, yeah, yeah, I just need a minute to collect myself. I'm really touched mm. by the way you put that. Um, so tell us some of the ways that you are giving back and, and maybe how you're bringing the arts to, to kids and to communities? Um, I think one of the ways that I first give back is just when I go into spaces and I like to especially work with women and young girls um, is the fact that when they see me, they identify with me and my story. And there's something about being vulnerable and being young and seeing someone who was in the, in a similar position as you, who's been able to make something of themselves mm -hmm. that really encourages you and lets you know that you are not your current reality, that you can always shift your life and you can always do so much more for yourself. So just being myself and being able to share my story has been very empowering. I also work with an organization called Padmad Kenya. Mm -hmm. And so we go around to the most vulnerable of women and we give um, reusable sanitary products to the girls because we know how, unfortunately, uh, men take advantage of girls who are vulnerable. So if a girl is on her period and this 
comes every month, she has to go and the family is not well off and they can't provide these sanitary products. She ends up linking herself with somebody who's taking advantage of her. So you have to give a sexual favor in order for you to receive a pad or a packet of pads. And I feel like if, if we didn't have to experience certain things, or what we could become Absolutely. and what could we achieve. Absolutely. So we go to these girls and we give them the reusable pads and we encourage them and we motivate them to know that there are a lot more than the difficulties that they're facing. But I think on top of that is that I rally my friends and I've been able to travel and I know people who also do have deep pockets and who are um, philanthropic and we think of ways that we can help so that means in Kibera we'll go and we'll build a dorm for the girls and we'll make sure that they have their beds and we'll make sure that they have blankets and towels that they can use and this also sometimes means that we give money to the school so that they can provide breakfast and lunch to the children so that you don't come because you can't learn when you're hungry Course, yeah. You can't, there's nothing that, yeah, you can't take in anything when you're hungry. So if you come to school and there's a cup of porridge for you and you know there's lunch for you, that motivates you to stay in school. And just by staying in school, you stay out of trouble. Yeah. So anything that I can do so that someone doesn't have to face difficulty in their early life, but so that they can have some hope and some motivation to do better as an individual for themselves, I am always on board. Oh, Sheila, I hope. Every opportunity you, you pray and hope for comes your way. Uh, I think that is the way these things work. We, we sow and, and we pray that seed brings fruit. And I just pray it will bring you fruit over and over. What a, what a blessing. I know Madhvi and her work at Padmat. And yes. Extraordinary period poverty is one of those things that we need everybody on board to eliminate um, a human function like menstruating should not be the barrier between you and success. It <laughs> you should and well-being, never. you and school. So I, it's, it's amazing to hear that. Thank, Thank you, you for your work that you're doing. So what is next for you, madame? You, you've been busy. You've been busy these last few years, yeah. creating, serving, connecting. What's next for you? Um, so right now I'm trying to sort of um, take the next steps in my career. And that means, you know, I'm looking into writing and directing. And I've been very fortunate to have such incredible people around me who've encouraged this. So I'm currently writing a script right now that um, hopefully with Netflix we'll be filming in the first quarter of next year. Amazing. Yes, um, I got a chance to go to Langata Women's Prison during um, one of their Valentine's events. And I got to meet such incredible women there and the stories that they told and one of them is a lady by the name of um, she was working in the banking sector and she unfortunately made a fraudulent transaction which ended up um, she ended up going to jail and she took the fall for the bank that she worked for and she was jailed for five years and she went there with her three-month-old daughter mm -hmm. and so my film is about her story of course there's bits and pieces which we've added just for cinematic value and you know for drama, drama purposes but it's really truly a film about the realities of life behind bars um, community and sisterhood with women in prison and honestly the fight for freedom and justice mm -hmm. and I'm so excited to be writing this I'm so happy and honored um, for the support that I've received and I cannot wait for people to see this side of me because I think I'm going to be brilliant. I've learned from the best. Wanuri Kahiu, uh, Judy Kibinge, Eva DuVernay, Shonda Rhimes. Like these are people who've just encouraged me and motivated me. And I cannot wait to now be Sheila Muniva. 
who's known for all of those things. I love it. I love it. I love it. If we had some glasses, we'd be, oh, we do have glasses. We do. Let's cling to that because that, Cheers. let it be, let it be, let it be in every single way. <laughs> um, so Sheila, you know, it's just been such a, a wonderful conversation. You've just kind of walked us through our own little Karua forest, it feels like, of stories here. <laughs> um, different ways that you've brought your art and your work to so many audiences. And we always like to ask people two questions before we let them go. Um, and partly we ask the same two questions of every single person because we like to see the through line of humanity, you know, oh, whether well. it's your Sheila Muniva or your, you know, Kevin Machiro or you are, you know, Waria and Jiro. We want to see like what is common between all these people. So the first question we ask is what is your favorite drink? Oh, can I be honest? Of course. It's going to be water. Sparkling water. Oh, sparkling water. Sparkling That's better water. than water, water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sparkling, just a nice, cold, sparkling water. Yeah, Kettling yeah, yeah. it specifically. Lime, That's no my lime? drink. You know what? It doesn't matter, but I feel like I'm a no-lime type of chick. Like, okay. I just want to have it as is. Baridi kabisa. Okay, mm -hmm. listen, we can switch this out in a minute and give you some <laughs> cold, sparkling water. <laughs> and the last question is, our show is all about joy and justice, where those two values of ours intersect and interplay. So what is bringing you joy today? Mm. I feel like the change in weather is what I could say right now. It's been really hot. And for someone who's been in the UK and I, I, I grew up there for some time, it's just nice for just the breeze and the baridi and, and maybe just like the clouds, my son will call them, you know, thunderstorms. So <laughs> it's just nice for me to feel the breeze and the cold that's happening. Um, but also... I've, I've gone through such a transformational last couple of years and I feel like I'm sort of emerging out of the depth um, of the things that I was going through. So I feel like the weather is cool and calm and collected and I've also emerged from something that I was going through and I feel like I can breathe and I feel like I can expand. So the weather and myself and my personal journey. Hey, cheers to that too, <laughs> Sheila. What a beautiful way to put it. I love that. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being on Salam and Hello. You know, I've been kind of following you around from event to event. You know, I'm like at the BBC thing, then I was at the Kizazi Moto. I'm like, how do I just say hello? So, and I said hello, and I just have to tell everybody, I hope you don't mind. Like I said, hello, would you be in our show? Can you know, have this, this, and this podcast? And she's like, sure. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll reach out to you on email or she's like just take my number and she like took my phone put her number and I was like hiya okay great we're friends <laughs> Sheila now we're friends we're friends you know I always tease people on the show we're putting make a big whatsapp group for the family gathering you know and, oh, and wow. put you in the whatsapp group fantastic I would love that <laughs> thank you well, thank you it has been such a delight to have you on salam and hello and may all of your work and your investment bear tremendous fruit Mm, yeah, let it be, you. let it be. Thank yeah. you so much, Lily. This thanks. was amazing. And thanks to the entire team. Yeah, they're 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 pretty amazing. They're pretty they amazing. Are. They <laughs> are. And listeners, we hope that you enjoyed everything you heard today. I'm sure it stirred up some things in you. So reach out, let us know what you thought. You can reach us on all of our platforms across social media at Salam and Hello, Salam with an E. And you can always email us as well, Lily at salamandhello.com or producer at salamandhello.com. And until we meet again. Again, peace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was amazing. I know it's hard, but baby, you just got to.